podcast of the Leeds Centre for Dante Studies. In this short series of podcasts, Ruth Chester, a doctoral candidate at the University of Leeds, explores some of the key ideas which informed Dante's religious thought. This podcast is an introduction to the Trinity as a theological concept and its presence in Dantean thought. Belief in the Trinity is one of the central tenets of the Christian faith. But before going on to explain what the Trinity is, there's an important premise I need to explain first. When we talk about aspects of medieval theology, it is important to bear in mind that from a Christian point of view, it is not possible to know God in the way we know a fact in maths or we know what time our bus leaves. Part of having faith in God is accepting that we cannot know him. If we could contain what God is in our minds, we would limit what he is and in some ways make him lesser than ourselves. At the same time, any language is also deficient and unable to contain God. Now this might sound like an odd way to begin a brief introduction by telling you that you can't know the idea I'm going to explain to you. But it's important to keep in mind that you can't expect to have a definitive answer and that mere words can't be the end of the story. This is not to say that some understanding of the Trinity can't be approached by using our human intellects. In fact, this introduction will give you some ideas about how theologians have tried to do this. But it's important to remember that for a Christian believer like Dante, he was willing to accept a lot on faith, and rather than devoting himself to finding evidence, rather devotes himself to exploring the beauty of his belief in poetry. Dante is working, however, within a tradition of belief with highly developed concepts of what the Trinity is and how humans might begin to conceive it. And it's this tradition which I'd like to introduce you to here before making some suggestions as to how Dante interacts with it. Now, simply put, the Trinity refers to the notion of God as a unified singular whole, but also three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This nature of God is suggested in the Bible, for example, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the New Testament, in which he describes the sacrament of baptism as being in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Or have a look at St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, in which he talks about the three features of God. But the medieval understanding of the Trinity, which Dante inherited, is based as much, if not more, on theological speculation and interpretation than on reading of the Bible itself. In the first four centuries after the birth of Christ, the main focus of theological discussion was on how God could be both three and one. How was such a paradoxical notion to be understood? How were the three persons related to one another? Are the Spirit and the Son subordinate to the Father? Are all three co-eternal? In what sense is God one? A definitive answer, or at least the answer which came to be accepted as Christian doctrine, was reached in two important councils of the early church. The Council of Nicaea in 325 AD and the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD. From these two councils was created the Nicene Creed, 
the statement of belief which is uttered by Catholic Christians even up to the present day. The definition of the Trinity arrived at in the Nicene Creed states that Father, Son and Holy Spirit are consubstantial, one Godhead, one power, one substance of equal dignity and majesty, but in three perfect hypostases or persons. Now the really important word here is consubstantial, which was the idea arrived at to express the equality and unity of the persons of the Godhead, and to state that they are of the same substance. Hypostasis emphasises that despite this unity, the three persons are objectively individual, and that their difference is real, not simply conceptual. After the councils of Nicaea and Constantinople, Discussions over the nature of the Trinity were largely over, at least in the Western Church, and the focus shifted to understanding the properties of the three persons. We know that all are equally divine, equally eternal, and of the same substance, so in what ways are they three, rather than just one? One of the most important thinkers in early Christianity, and in fact one of the most influential thinkers on medieval theology, and on Dante himself, was St. Augustine. His book, De Trinitate, or On the Trinity, lays out the doctrine of the Trinity and explores how we might conceive of the qualities of the three persons. Essentially, to maintain the unity of God, but also express the three persons, what is important is that the differences between the persons only exist through their relation to each other. What are often called the personal properties of one person of the Trinity is their relationship to the other two. So there is no kind of absolute individuality in any of the persons. Their individuality only exists relatively. For example, God the Father and God the Son are both God, but the Son is begotten from the Father. More subtly speaking, the Son is often referred to as the Logos, or the Word, which signifies the creative principle. So the Logos is the way God manifests and expresses himself in creation. As God's expression, the Logos is both a unified part of God, but with a distinguishing characteristic. Now, these huge concepts are not easy to take in or explain but Augustine makes them a bit more tangible by making analogies between the human mind and the Godhead. In fact, at the opening of the book of Genesis in the Bible, we are told that God created man in his own image. Now, while it's tempting to imagine God with legs, with arms, and maybe even with a beard, God is in no way a physical being. The resemblance of man to God is actually found in the human mind. And if the human mind is created in the image of God, then some reflection of the nature of the Trinity must logically be found there. Augustine identifies the human trinity of mind, intellect or knowledge, and love as being reflective of the qualities of the divine trinity. God the Father, through self-conscious reflection, knows God the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the love which the Father and Son feel for each other. What unifies the three persons is that their differences only exist if they are understood as one whole being. What makes them different is their relationship within the union. In another important work by St. Augustine, De Civitate Dei, 
or the city of God. He explores this idea that man is created in the image of God and describes this Trinitarian image as one of being what we are, knowing what we are and of loving what we are. This form of analogy was taken over by another hugely influential theologian, and this time a theologian who you will in fact meet in Dante's Commedia, St Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas further explores the interrelation between the three persons of the Trinity, and he lays down an idea known as procession, or the idea that the different persons proceed or come from the Godhead. It's really just another way of describing the relativity of the relationships we talked about earlier. From God understanding, that's God the Father, proceeds God understood, that's the Son. This relationship of understanding and understood proceeds to God beloved, which is the Holy Spirit. It may not be so easy to have a clear picture of what the Holy Spirit is, You might have seen it depicted as a dove in religious paintings, or as tongues of flame coming to Jesus' apostles, but this doesn't really explain its role in the Trinity. I think the most striking understanding of what the Holy Spirit is within the Trinity comes again from Augustine, who describes it as the mutual love by which the Father and Son love each other. It is the love itself which joins and unites the whole, But obviously love can't exist without someone to do the loving or without someone to love. I hope this introduction to the theology of the Trinity has shown you that when we're looking for Dante's depictions of the Trinity in the Commedia, it's not enough simply to look for patterns of three. Three is obviously an important structural feature of the Commedia itself. Just think of the three cantiche or the use of the terza rime rhyme scheme. But when the theme of the Trinity gets really interesting in the Commedia is when we appreciate the richness of Dante's theological inheritance. We can consider the Trinity from the point of interrelation, so not just looking for the number three, but the ways in which three are one. We can look at properties that distinguish and properties that link. In his poetry, Dante manages to express some really profound theological ideas in ways that are probably much clearer and more striking than the introduction I've just given you. Think about Encanto Ten of the Paradiso, the heaven of the sun, where Dante encounters three circles of theologians and wise men. Look at the first twelve lines of this canto and consider some of the concepts I've been telling you about. Love, the interrelation of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, how they interrelate, how they depend on one another. Or think about when you get to the very end of Paradiso in Canto 33, the image of circles Dante uses to express the vision of God he experiences actually shows us rather than tells us how the Trinity, the union of three and one, might be possible. The importance of the Trinity can't really be overemphasized when we're reading Dante. As I said at the beginning, it is one of the two central elements of Christian faith. So the experience Dante has at the end of the Commedia of actually seeing the truth of his faith, which Aquinas describes as the fruit and goal of life, is a most powerful moment in which faith, theology and poetry unite.